0: Welcome to the Christ Church Conway Podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of Scripture and theology. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We're up to chapter 4, verse 25 this morning. We're going to look at uh, chapter 4, verse 25, through chapter 5, verse 2. So let's give our attention once again to the reading of God's holy and inspired and authoritative word. Paul writes, Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering a sa- and sacrifice to God. Most gracious Father, as we consider Your Word this morning. I ask that you would add your blessing to this reading of your word, that you would strengthen me by your spirit, that I may speak only in his power, that all of us together may be convicted of our sin and comforted with your gospel, that we might be strengthened to rest in Christ and so walk in true righteousness and holiness, carrying out the good works that were prepared beforehand for us who are found in him by faith. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Well, as, as I said last week, we're in this section of, of the book of Ephesians where Paul has kind of shifted gears a little bit from the indicatives, the statements about who we are in Christ, what it is that he's done for us, forgiveness, the gospel, all of those wonderful things. Uh, and he shifted gears to these imperative statements where he's, he's telling us to do stuff. And it's the, it's the part where he, he kind of really starts meddling and, and start stepping on our toes and, and making a squirm during the sermon and all those kinds of things. But what he's doing for us, we must be, be very clear in our minds, is he's, he's not here outlining the way to God. He's outlining the life that we are to live because God has come to us in Christ Jesus and saved us. Because Christ has come to us by His Spirit and united us to our Savior by faith. He's giving us what we could call a kingdom ethic. This is how we are to live as faithful citizens of the kingdom of God. Therefore, he says in verse 25, giving us now some some very practical points that flow from what we looked at last week. This call to put off the old man that is corrupt with its deceitful desires and put on the new man that is created according to the standard of God and true knowledge and righteousness, true knowledge and and holiness. That's what we're to put on. We're to put on Jesus. Therefore, reminds us that doing that, putting on Christ, will necessarily result in a different way of living. If we put off our old self that has defined our our patterns of thought and, and patterns of behavior and patterns of speech and put on Christ so that he now defines how we are, who we are, how we think, how we speak, our lives necessarily will look differently. And he gives us several imperatives here. And and what's interesting is with each of these, they're, they're really set in contrast in this way. He's calling us to put off our flesh, stop worrying about ourselves, and think about others. That, that's really how we could summarize all of these, and we're going to go through them one by one, and, and each of these could, could be a, a sermon or, or, or sermon series on its own, but we're going to take them all together this morning. And the first thing he says is to put away all falsehood, to put away the lie. Is, is the, 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 If you just translated it very, very woodenly, it would say put off the lie. And it's the same language that he uses, the, the put away or put off language is the same language that he's used just a few verses earlier to talk about putting off the old man with all its deceitful desires. I think Paul here wants us to see this connection that, and here, rather than going into all of that detail, he just summarizes it as put off the lie. Put off the lie that that, that you've lived in, in in thinking that it's all about you, that it's it's all about your satisfaction, in in thinking that it's all about your flesh being pleased and, and comforted. Put off that lie. Because here's the reality of it. Everything that comes from that is, in fact, deceitful. The desires of our flesh are, the Bible makes it very, very clear, repeatedly deceitful, leading us astray. And so Paul says, put that off. And just like in the last section, we were to put off one thing and put on a new thing here, he gives us something to do in its place. Rather than than putting on lies, put those off and let each one of you speak the truth. With his neighbor. Notice that the shift here is not just from the lie that we believe in, in seeking to satisfy ourselves and in seeking to satisfy our flesh and in seeking to comfort our and, 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 and submit to our old man. The contrast is also in what we're focused on. Rather than just being focused on the lies of our previous life, we're to be focused on the truth, but rather than being focused on us and, 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 and putting on our flesh, we're to put that off and focus on others. Speak the truth, each one of you, to his neighbor. That, that's what should characterize our life, is this focus on others being strengthened and encouraged and reminded and grounded in the truth of the gospel this extreme focus on others makes us go, well, wait a minute, who reminds me of these things? Don't I need to take care of myself and, and, and all of that stuff that we say? Well, if we are in a healthy Christian community, if we're a healthy church, the glory of it is you don't have to worry about yourself at all for two reasons. One, you're found in Christ, and we'll get to that in a minute, but but secondly, all of these commands are not just for you. They're for all of us. And when we think in those terms, the options become, I can stay focused on me and, and keep myself dressed in this lie and, and worried about my satisfaction and my comfort and all of these things. And, and maybe I want to try and Christianize all of that and baptize it somehow. And, 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 or I can put that off. And rather than having only me speaking truth, through this filter of deceitful desires, I can have all of you speaking truth to me, reminding me of the gospel, reminding me of what is true, reminding me of who I am in Christ, reminding me of the forgiveness that I have in Jesus because He died in my place, reminding me of of what a righteous and holy life looks like when we live by faith in Christ. If we want to look at it Economically, that's a far better deal. Because I go from me worrying about me to this entire body being concerned for me being grounded in the truth. Put away the lie. Put away the falsehood. And let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Here we start to get an idea of what this lie is that Paul is wanting us to put off. And it's this lie of Christian individualism. That that my faith and my Jesus and, and my relationship with God and my conscience and my, 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 my is what matters. Paul goes back to this theme that he's developed throughout Ephesians consistently that no, we... Are one body. That there is an unfamiliar corporateness to the body of Christ. That it's not just about me and my personal relationship with Jesus. It's not just about me and my quiet time. It's about us as the body of Christ. We are members one of another. The other side of this is that when one of us refuses to put off the lie, we all suffer. We all feel the pain. We all feel the sadness. But we all are worse off because we're not blessed with the truth from them and their giftedness by the Holy Spirit serving this body. That's partly what it means for us to be members one of another. Then Paul, in verses 26 and 27, turns to the picture, kids, it's on your kid's sheet. Be angry and do not sin. There's a couple of different ways that this is read. Read. I think probably here, Paul is leaving the door open for something called righteous anger. But I think the reason that sometimes commentators want to move away from that, it seems to me, is because, well, we've not ever seen what that looks like since Jesus. But we all claim it quite readily. Be angry and do not sin. It implies that there is some kind of righteous anger in which we're not sinning. I think Paul is wanting to leave the door cracked for that opportunity. But I think what we do is we come along and we kick the door wide open so that as long as we can find some passage or some, even just a clause from a Bible verse that we can attach to our anger, then we feel utterly justified in our ungodly anger. How is this one focused on us and how is not doing this focused on others? Well, this way. I I think if we are honest with ourselves, we can admit that our anger that we feel about whatever issue it may be is always self-driven. We can get anger about all kinds of of justice issues and all kinds of of stuff that that on the surface seems quite fantastic and and, and quite noble and, and all of these things, but I think frequently our anger, even over what should be righteous causes, is more focused on being seen as being appropriately angry at what is a righteous cause than actually caring about our brothers and sisters in Christ. The reason I think that is because of the preponderance of evidence that we have on social media. If we were able to channel the righteous indignation Of any given social media platform, we could really get some stuff done. But the reality is we're all quite content for the world to know from our posting that, yes, I too am mad about that. Now I can get on with my life because y'all know that I am. And I don't actually have to do anything about it. But of course then there's just the regular old anger that we all struggle with. There's the anger that made us as fathers squirm when we realized that this was in fact the passage we were going to talk about this morning. There's the anger that is sin. And only sin. And can't be construed any other way. And it's always centered on us. When we're mad at our spouse, when we're mad at our kids, when we're mad at people that we think have wronged us, when we're mad at the president or our state representatives or the person that's not driving as perfectly as we do or whatever it may be, in every case, In every case, it's me not getting what I want. It's me and my exalted self not getting my way and therefore feeling absolutely justified in dispensing wrath. Rather, what Paul tells us to do is not sin, in our anger not exalt ourselves in such a way and not to let the sun go down on our anger and give no opportunity to the devil there's limits here don't let the sun go down on your anger what what this is probably just a, a an idiomatic way of saying reconcile quickly it may be, by the end of the day, we may be able to take it that literally. Certainly, if you're married, I would strongly encourage that principle in your marriage. If there is some tension with, between you and your spouse, or if you have children between you and your children, I would strongly encourage you to literally not let the sun go down on your anger. But seek reconciliation. Seek grace. Seek mercy seek forgiveness and repentance and when you can't do that with whoever it is that you're angry with take your anger in full repentance to Jesus Christ and confess it and forgive even if there's no face to face opportunity of reconciliation you still don't have to keep hanging on to it. But how we do this is important. As I was looking for pictures for the kids' sheets, I saw this thing, and, and I almost used it for the, the kids' sheet this morning, but it, it had a little angry face, and then it had you know a circle on the end of each finger, and it had some cute rhyme like, when you're feeling angry, like, tap the spot, tap, 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 and now, like, let sunshine into your heart. And I was like, that's, it was a better rhyme than that, but <laughs> the, the point is, that wasn't ever going to help anything. Because it's not dealing with the, what the actual issue is. I don't need to count to a hundred. I don't need to count to a hundred thousand. My anger in my flesh can far outlast anything I could count to. I need to repent. I need to confess my anger as sin and seek the forgiveness that I have in Christ and believe it and believe the security that I have in him that I don't have to do it for myself. And in this way, I give no opportunity to the devil because I stop seeking me and all the divisiveness that comes with that and run to Christ. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Again, we see clearly what the thief does is they go and take from other people for their own benefit. They're, they're fixated on themselves. Even if they're just stealing for the joy or the, the thrill of stealing something, like Augustine talked about, you're, you're still doing it for yourself. And notice Paul's rebuttal to that it's not just stop stealing. It's stop stealing and and get a job and do honest work with your own hands. And, And he doesn't even stop there. It's not just stop stealing and get a job so that you can provide for yourself. It's stop stealing, get a job so that you can share it with everybody else. Wait a minute. That's not why I work. I work to put food on my table, clothes in my closet. Provide for my family the things that we need. And here again, Paul calls us to something more incredible than that. It's not just stop stealing. It's not just stop stealing and get a job. It's stop stealing, get a job, so that you can share with others. See, again, He's saying put off the life, put put off this this whole life philosophy that it's about you taking care of you. What we begin to see is that that if our Christian ethic sums up and and ends and and bolsters a view of life that it's about me and, and my rights, even if they're baptized rights, that it's an incomplete Christian ethic. Because over and over and over, We're called away from ourselves and to others. To bless bless others, to share with others, to, to reconcile with others, to speak truth to others. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. The type of talk that Tears other people down. The type of talk that corrupts the fellowship that we have with believers. The type of talk that, that works division in the body of Christ. Let none of that come out of your mouth. The type of talk that, that, that we point out other people's failures, and, and, but only the ones that we're not doing ourselves, because then we feel so much better. But, but that kind of talk corrupts the body of Christ. It, it brings division. Let it not come out of your mouth, Paul says. But only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Again, stop speaking in a way that is corrupt, That is the way of the old man with its deceitful desires that that are fixed only on itself. But speak in a way that builds up the body of Christ. Speak in a way that builds up and strengthens your brothers and sisters in Christ. Speak in a way that gives grace to those who hear you. We've been around those people. We know what it's like to be around those people that we come away from refreshed. We, we come away from feeling like confident in the gospel. We, we come away being reminded of, of what is true and the glories of Jesus Christ and his life and death and resurrection. And, and we want to be around those people again because grace is given. And Paul's saying that's how we should speak. Not biting and devouring one another, not tearing other people down, not exalting ourselves in our faux theological debates where we show how much we think we know, but seeking to build other people up, to show grace. And indeed, this is what he called us to when he gave all of those offices and and talked about why they were given. That we may attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That the body, when each part is doing its part, may build itself up in love. Is this how we use our words? Are you looking in every conversation to say things... Even parents in those hard conversations that you have to have with your kids because they've done something wrong. Are you looking, even in those conversations, yes, to speak truth, but to do it in a way that they hear grace? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When we look at the places of grieving the Holy Spirit of God we, and the people of Israel grieving God and, and all of these different ideas we see that, that this happens when they get focused on themselves and think they've no need for God. But He's the very one who sealed us for redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Tim Keller, I heard him in a sermon at one time, I wish I could point you to the sermon, but I don't remember which one it was, but he talked about this idea of wrath, and he did this kind of brief etymology on wrath, and, and, and kind of why it was problematic and, and, and used it to, to, to explain why hanging on to our bitterness and our anger and our wrath and all of these things afflicts us so much. And he pointed out that wrath is related to the, the word for, for wreath. It's something that is twisted into a different shape. And that's what bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor and slander and all of that self-vindicating stuff does to us. When we hang on to that, when we dress ourselves in those things, it twists us into a different shape. It makes us the old mythical wraiths that torment because they're tormented. And so Paul says, put that off. Put that off. And again, he turns us away from ourself and all of this self-vindicating stuff that we cling to in our flesh and turns us to others. Be kind to one another tenderhearted forgiving one another. There was a song that came out a few years ago that I, I actually rather like the song. It's very fun. It's very catchy. It's by, uh, I actually don't remember who it's by, uh, but it's called Be Happy. It's a hip-hop song. It's just a super fun song. And I love it. But, again, like the picture that I didn't put on the kid's sheet, it misses the point. Because it's not something that we can just do. Be happy, be nice, just smile. I promise it'll change your life, it says. If only it were that easy. If only it were that easy for us to untwist ourselves from the anger and the, the slander and, and the clamor and the bitterness and the, and the wrath that we have held on to. If only it were that easy to just go, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to be kind to people and forgive them. I'm going to be tender hearted towards everyone. closing clause of this verse begins to give us a picture of how any of this is actually possible because here's the thing it all is possible for the christian as god in christ forgave you see there's the linchpin there's the key to the christian life It's forgiveness. It's forgiveness from our sin. It's being made righteous in Christ. It's being made a new creation. It's being regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's being filled with the Spirit who fulfills the law in us and strengthens us to walk in the works that were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5. I think go with what comes before and serve as a summary of all that Paul has just said. It's a different word for therefore so I, in the Greek, so I don't think this is a new section. He says, therefore, I think what he's saying is now let me summarize for you. Here's what I'm saying. Be imitators of God. Now, if he stopped right there, this would simply be a new law that that condemns and crushes and that we have no hope of fulfilling on our own. Be holy as I am holy. Well, I can't. Imitate me in my holiness, in my concern for others, in my righteousness. Well, I can't. But he doesn't stop there. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God as those that he has brought into his family by his prerogative that he might serve as their father. Be imitators of God as as those that he has redeemed and called his own. Be imitators of God as those to whom he has kept the promise to be their God and for them to be his people. Be imitators of God in that way. As a child imitates his father because of the connection that he has to them. You see this? You see this as adults when you see kids? You see kids doing stuff and and, and you're like, oh, they're just like their dad or they're just like their mom. You feel this as as you get older and and you you start doing things and and you're like, oh my word, (laughs) just like my dad. Same mannerisms, same expressions, same thought patterns. We, we just naturally imitate our fathers. And, and that's what we're being called to do here is, is to live as we are as children of God and so imitate the one who is our father. And walk in love. Again, if he stopped there, this would be crippling. You, just go, go walk in love. You might get two steps before you're flat on your face because you've tripped over hate. But he doesn't stop there. Walk in love as Christ loved us. Again, we we start to see like, oh, wait a minute. This isn't just a call for me to reach down and and grab my proverbial bootstraps and pick myself up by them and and be a better person and and set off on a journey of religious self-improvement. No. No. No, this is a call for us to lean in to the reality of who we are in Christ Jesus because of what he has done for us and because of the relationship that he has given us to our heavenly father. uh, Walk in love as Christ loved us. How did he love us? Here's the key and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What Christ did for us, as Paul so beautifully puts in Philippians chapter 2, is that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He laid his life down as much as he possibly could. Why? Why? redeem us to redeem his people from the power of sin and death to give us forgiveness to make us new creations in him to free us from the bondage of the law to bring us out of slavery to our sinful desires and passions that the world says yes and amen to and to bring us to God as our father through himself He laid his life down that we might do that. And because he has done that, because he has brought us to cry, to God as our Father, fully cleansed from our sins, fully redeemed, called holy, made children of God, adopted, filled with the Spirit that we might be strengthened. Because he has done that, He has secured all that we need for our standing with God. Just as He was secure knowing the Father loves me and He's the one that has sent me to do this thing. He's the one who has sent me to lay my life down and so I will do it willingly because the Father loves me. And so that's what we're being called to here because we have been loved by Christ, we no longer have to clamor around for our standing, for our comfort, for our... I no longer have to be fixated and and, and like a wraith turned in on myself, making sure my flesh... I've been freed from all of that. I'm perfectly secure. You are perfectly secure if you are in Christ... You are perfectly secure in Him. And so you can, day by day, look at your flesh and hear the lies that it's telling you and say no to all of that because you don't have to secure yourself because Christ has done it for you. You don't have to gain your standing. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to show that you're worthy. Christ has done it for you. And the freedom that comes with that is yes, a freedom from the wrath of God being poured out on us. Yes, a freedom from the curse of the law condemning us. Yes, a freedom from the law of sin and death. But also, a freedom from the tyranny of our flesh. A freedom from the tyranny of self. A freedom to pour your life out all the way for the sake of others. To use your words and your emotions and your thoughts and your money and your actions and your everything to confer grace on others. Because Christ has done that for you. And so you are perfectly secure. See, the thing that keeps us from doing these things that Paul has laid out is we forget that. And we think, like the stewardess always tells us on the airplane, no, I've got to secure my own mask first. Then I can help everybody else. But the gospel comes along and says, No, Jesus has already done that. You're just free to help everybody else. You don't have to serve yourself. And that is incredible freedom. To be freed from the tyranny of me because of what Jesus has done. Because he, by his finished work, has given me standing with my father that will not be revoked. And so I imitate him now as a beloved, adopted, cherished child because I'm found in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that it gives us. We thank you that, that it reminds us that, yes, we are called to righteousness and we are called to holiness, but, but we are called to that because we have been secured in that by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so would you, by your spirit, teach us to indeed put off the lie and, and put off all of these things and imitate you, our heavenly Father, Not that you might be our Father, but because you are, because of what Christ has done. We ask this in his most precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of Scripture and theology.